Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a blessing for me to be with you again as I get an opportunity to preach from God's Word today. Uh, my name's David, and I'm the church planning resident here at Doxa. And my family, we've been blessed to spend a season here at Doxa to learn about church planting, and then, Lord willing, next summer, uh, we'll be moving to Massachusetts, uh, to the South Shore, to the Plymouth area to plant a church. And you know, it's been such a blessing for me and my family to be a part of a church that really does care about the mission that God has given his people to make disciples. It's one thing to say you care about the Great Commission, which of course every Christian should care about that, but it's another thing to put some action behind it. It's been encouraging for me personally to see uh, members of our church praying for friends, praying for coworkers, and hearing, of, hearing stories of people getting a chance to share the gospel. And we're, we're praying that more people will come to faith as a result of uh, our faithfulness and, of course, God's hand in that. Now, I, I don't know how many of you actually pay attention to our church budget but it's pretty cool to look and see how our budget here, and notice this at our next members meeting or whenever we pass out the budget, notice how it's constructed so that a good portion of our resources go to causes that advance the gospel. It's easy for a church to lose its way and begin to drift when we neglect the mission that God has given us to glorify him by making disciples. By the grace of God, our church here is going to continue to labor in the work that God has given us. And part of that labor includes disciple-making that leads to churches being planted. And that's exactly what we are attempting to do with this church plant, with this church planting mission that my family's on, that the members of our core team are on. So I, I want to ask you all, Please pray for the Duran family. Pray for a team that God is going to build to join in this cause, this mission to plant a church. Pray that, that God will do something powerful for, for his glory. Maybe he's even calling you to be a part of this team. We've been praying for that. There are, there are so many things that we need in terms of church planting. The list seems endless it's overwhelming to think about all the things that we need. But friends, there is absolutely nothing that we need more than your prayers. So please pray for us. Pray for our team. Pray for New England as often as we come to mind. Pray that God would sustain us. Pray that God would go before us. Most importantly, pray that souls would be saved and that the light of Christ would shine bright in a very dark place. Well, I'm going to pray for us now before we look at our passage. And I just want to remind you all that this prayer isn't just me praying. This is a corporate prayer. This is something that we're all doing together. So in your own way, as I'm speaking, make this prayer your own as we lift this up to the Lord. So let's, let's pray together, and then we're going to look at Daniel 10. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be in your presence. We long for your spirit to be present with us here in a tangible way. 
God, far too long we have been satisfied with a stagnant form of Christianity. Far too long we've been content to rely simply on logic and reason and have neglected the undeniable supernatural nature of our faith. Father, we confess today that at times we have believed that we are capable of accomplishing more in our own strength than through total dependence on you. God, we acknowledge that we are helpless. We are helpless as individuals. We are helpless as a church. We need you, Lord. No one, no thing is like you, Lord, and we need you. Nothing satisfies the longing of our souls the way that you do. No one knows our, our deepest sins and our, our deepest struggles, yet still shows mercy and kindness to us the way that you do, Lord. Father, thank you that your faithfulness endures forever. Lord, today we all need to be filled with your Holy Spirit in a fresh way. Our spiritual senses have deadened. We've been lulled to sleep by, in spiritual slumber. Father, we pray that you would awaken us from spiritual deadness. Remind us that there is a real spiritual war taking place around us. Remind us that there is a battle going on for the souls of human beings. Father, we thank you that we can feel a sense of urgency in our need to pursue you, while at the same time, we can rest in your glorious grace. We thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Father, as we prepare to look at your word this morning, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds so that we can see the truth of your word. We ask that our hearts would be softened so that we can receive your word. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, apply the truth of this message of your word. Apply it deep into our hearts. Show us how we might need to change in response to what your word says. God, we pray against anything that would seek to distract us from hearing from you this morning. God, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing a message, and there's a lot of work that goes into listening to a message and applying it, Lord. God, I pray that you would help me to say things that are honoring to you, help me to say things that help people in their walk with you. God, may we all leave here today with a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation for your love and a deeper love for you. That's our prayer, Father. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you are familiar with or pay attention to the traditional church calendar, but today is Pentecost Sunday. Historically, in many churches, this Sunday is the day where the receiving of the Holy Spirit by the early church is celebrated. I know many of you probably remember the story. It's from Acts chapter 2. Jesus has already ascended to heaven, and the believers, they're told to wait, and that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Then one day, 120 or so Christians are gathered together. They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind and fills the room where they're gathered. Tongues of fire appear and sort of rest on each of them. 
They start speaking in languages that aren't their own, and people even accuse them of being drunk. If you're not familiar with that story, you really should read, read all about that in Acts chapter 2. But Pentecost Sunday, it is celebrated to remind Christians of the gift that is the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost Sunday, we remember that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. I think Pentecost Sunday, it also serves as a reminder to the supernatural nature of our faith. The Christian faith is supernatural. Ever since the age of the Enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries, skepticism towards the supernatural has only increased. From a purely rational or naturalistic worldview, it's hard to explain what's described in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. We live in a time where many people would view things like the Pentecost event or angels or demons as sort of superstitious relics of the past. The spiritual and the unseen realm is sort of dismissed because as the critics say, it cannot be proven. Lots of people, even lots of professing Christians are a bit skeptical of the supernatural. Now I wanna pause and just be clear about something. I'm not saying that everyone who claims to have some kind of supernatural encounter is genuine. Many of them may not be. I just simply wanna point out to you that our Christian faith is not based solely on logic and reason. Those things are important. I am a big advocate of those things, but we can't simply think our way to the truth. There is a supernatural element of our faith that cannot be denied. I mention all of that to you this morning because our passage that Christian read for us is pretty high on the spiritually strange meter. This morning, we have another vision of Daniel. There is this strange messenger that appears. We're gonna see angels and heavenly rulers being pointed out in our passage. But this somewhat unusual passage, at least unusual to many of our ears, has something very important for us to consider, especially in the way that we view the spiritual realm and the way that we view the supernatural. So Daniel chapter 10, it introduces the last of the visions of Daniel. And really, chapter 10 here, it serves as the preface to chapters 11 and 12. Really, these next two weeks are, are on one big section of Scripture, 10 to 12, one large section. And today, we're just going to sort of sit in chapter 10. And next week, we'll finish up our study in Daniel. So chronologically, we have now progressed in the life of Daniel, and we are in the third year of King Cyrus, and he's the last king that we're gonna sort of see in the book of Daniel. And I wanna point that out to you because that sort of sets the context for everything that's gonna happen both this week and next week. So in the first year of Cyrus's reign, the Jews were released from their exile in Babylon. Remember, that's what Daniel, that's what the Jews had been looking towards, this, this release from exile. And this has happened, that happened in year one of Cyrus, and we know that from Ezra chapter one. And while some of the Jews returned to Jerusalem, they have begun to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, 
many of them have stayed behind in Babylon. And Daniel, he's one of those that stayed behind. We also know that at this point, Daniel is no longer employed by the, gov- the, the Babylonian government the way he was before. Daniel chapter one tells us that he, his service was till year one of Cyrus, so he's no longer under the employment of the government. And it appears that Daniel is now an elderly, somewhat ordinary citizen in Babylon. But there's an important hint in our passage right here at the beginning that all is not right in Daniel's world. Look again at verses two and three. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So what is it here that has Daniel so down? What is it that's causing Daniel to enter into this extended time of fasting, of mourning, of praying, seeking after the Lord? Well, the reason for this is that there has been strong opposition to the temple rebuilding project that Daniel's fellow Jews are working on in Jerusalem. The excitement to return to the homeland and rebuild the temple, that that excitement has started to fade. The opposition is great. People are getting tired, they're getting run down, and now Daniel, he's fasting, he's mourning, and he's praying. He's seeking the blessing of heaven on behalf of his people as they struggle to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And it's right here in verses two and three that we find an important principle for all of us. That is, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one suffers, we all suffer. Daniel himself, he's not going through the difficulties that his fellow people are as they try to rebuild the temple. He's back in Babylon. The interruption of building the temple, it's not affecting him directly, but Daniel is mourning. He's seeking God on behalf of his people. One of the beautiful things about belonging to the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ is that we are all spiritual family members. That's true for all Christians everywhere, and it's especially true for us here in the local church. You remember that story when Jesus' mother and brothers are trying to speak with him and Jesus sort of stretches out his hand towards his followers and says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and mother. Church, that same reality is true for us. In a spiritual sense, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I... I know that kind of language is thrown around all the time. We we often greet each other, at least I do, saying, good to see you, brother. Good morning, brother. How are you, sister? That language, we throw it around all the time. But when was the last time you actually thought about what that really means? When was the last time you thought about that church member or just a, a fellow Christian who you butt heads with all the time? When was the last time you thought of them as your sister or your brother in the Lord? What about our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world? Remember in Hebrews, we're told to remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. How often have we been guilty of getting so wrapped up 
in our own little worlds that we forget about the sufferings, the persecutions of our family members around the world. Daniel here is fasting and he's praying because his heart has truly been knit together with the heart of his people who are facing that opposition and suffering. Friends, when in the family of God, when one suffers, we all suffer. And we would do well to remember to seek the Lord's blessing on behalf of those who are facing resistance as they labor for the kingdom of God. It's an important principle that we cannot forget. Well, as Daniel's praying and as he's fasting, a divine messenger appears to him. Look again at verses four to six. I know we've read them, but we're gonna read them again. And if you have your Bible with you, follow along as I read this, just two verses. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now, there are differing opinions as to who exactly this messenger is. Some think it's an angel or another heavenly being. Some see evidence that maybe this is the pre-incarnate Christ here appearing. Regardless, though, of who this messenger is, the message that's clearly being communicated here is a sense of the majesty of God. There were others who were with Daniel as this is happening, and although they don't see the messenger the same way that Daniel does, they most certainly feel his presence. This scene, it kind of reminds us of uh, Saul on his way to Damascus when the Lord Jesus appears to him, and the others, they don't know exactly what's going on, but they get a sense of the presence of the Lord here. The point that I, I want to make for you is this, an experience with God changes us forever. An experience with God changes us forever. The presence of God here in this passage and with Daniel and the others, it puts them right on their face. And clearly, we see God's power, we see his glory on, dis on display, but also, we, and we will forget this if we don't look very carefully, we see his forgiveness and his faithfulness. The linen clothing that's mentioned, that would have reminded Daniel of the clothing worn by the priest. He would be reminded of, of sacrifice and of atonement for sins. He would remember the kindness and the forgiveness of the Lord. Church, when Daniel encounters the presence of the Lord, it humbles him in a profound way. And that should be true of us as well. We should be humbled by the presence of God. An experience with God's glory and his grace changes us forever. It changes us on a daily basis as we continue to encounter him. When this happens, our hearts and our lives are placed back in a proper order. We become less me-centered and more God-centered. We become less me-focused and more others-focused. Church, we want to be people who continually live in the presence of God. And really, that is the big idea of the Christian life. The Christian life is to be lived in the presence of God 
under the authority of God for the glory of God. As Christians, we want to be people who carry the aroma of Christ with us everywhere that we go. We want to glow with the presence of God because we have, in fact, been in his presence. You think about the story from Exodus 34 when Moses was with the Lord. His face, it, it, it glowed with the brightness of God. We want to be those kind of people. When we encounter the presence of God, it humbles us. It puts us on our face. And then the, the kind hand of the Lord is the only one that can lift us up again. Look at verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. So Daniel, he's on his face, he's humbled, he hears these words from the heavenly messenger and he, he stands up and he's trembling. In verse 12, the messenger says, fear not, Daniel, from, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Friends, notice what it says at the end of verse 12. I have come because of your words. The messenger is talking about prayer here. Now I know we have been hitting on prayer really hard over the last couple months or so. Um, we heard a wonderful message last week about the power of prayer, but there's just no denying how paramount prayer is in the book of Daniel. And I think the Lord has us in Daniel at this time. He's working within the hearts of our leaders, stirring us to prayer. We see prayer on display all throughout this book. And I want to point out to you, we see in verses 10 through 12, we see that real change does come from prayer. Real change comes from prayer. I think sometimes we struggle with prayer because we don't, we don't feel like we're actually doing anything when we pray. If we're honest with ourselves, we feel like we're wasting our time. Like I could be doing something more productive right now than on my knees praying to the Lord. But over and over again in the book of Daniel, we see real change. It does in fact come when we slow down, we stop, and we pray. And there's a strong connection here. Again, we see this in Daniel. There's a strong connection between the life that we live and the way that we pray. There's no denying the connection between the humble, God-seeking heart of Daniel and the prayer life of Daniel. Those things are, are intertwined in a strong way. We must seek to understand, to humble our hearts, and we can be sure that God will hear us. Friends, when we pray, when we humble ourselves, when we seek the Lord, God will respond. And some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. I don't doubt that there are people in this room today who have been praying for the same thing for years and years and years. My prayer for you is that you will feel a fresh desire today to continue calling out to the Lord. Don't give up praying for that family member who doesn't know Christ. Don't give up. Don't give up praying for that wayward child that you might have. Continue to seek the Lord on their behalf. God chooses to work in response to the prayers of his people. And the answer is often delayed. The answer is sometimes no. 
But when we draw near to God in prayer, he will absolutely draw near to us. I have a friend who grew up in a family with a very abusive, alcoholic father. And uh, this man's father was a a high-ranking government official. He was in a position of power. And essentially, he could really do whatever he wanted to do. One day, my friend's mother, she became a Christian. And she decided to share the gospel with her husband, tell him about Jesus. He had absolutely zero interest. In fact, his abuse, his treatment of her, it actually became worse. She had right grounds for divorce if she she wanted to, but she felt convicted that she just needed to pray for her husband. I just need to pray for this man. She, She pleaded that God would change his heart. She pleaded that this man would come to know Jesus, and she prayed this prayer for over 10 years. I can't remember how long it was exactly, but I know it was more than 10 years when he told me this story. And then one day, in a miraculous way, this man had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. God saved this man, this abusive, alcoholic man who had no interest in Christ. This man that was saved, he would eventually become a church planter. He would become a pastor. Thousands and thousands of people came to Christ through his ministry, including his two sons. Now, not every story has an ending like this, but too often we don't understand the significance. We don't understand the power of our prayers. And really, the, pr- the, the power isn't in the prayer itself, but in the, in the God who our prayers are offered up to. Our words, they have no power on their own. But the God who we pray to, who we seek, he has all the power. This supernatural messenger came to Daniel to encourage him, to strengthen him, to reveal future world events to him. And all of this happened, it seems like, in response to the prayers of Daniel, in response to the humble seeking heart of Daniel. That's an important point I don't want us to to miss. Next thing I want to point out to you, the root cause of real world problems are spiritual. That's on display in our passage. The root cause of real world problems are spiritual. This is in the first half of verse 13. The heavenly messenger that appears to Daniel, he says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia has withstood him for 21 days. Essentially, what he's saying is, I was delayed in coming to you, Daniel, because of this prince of Persia. Messenger says in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. This is kind of an unusual part of this vision here. And what's being described here is not flesh and blood princes and rulers. What's happening here is we are getting a glimpse into the spiritual realm. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is a representative of Persia in the spiritual realm. It seems to be an an angelic figure who's associated with the Persian empire who is resisting God's purposes. And this, this force is likely the one that's behind the opposition that the Jews are facing as they're trying to rebuild the temple. 
behind this, this real world opposition that God's people are facing was real, genuine, spiritual opposition. This is an example of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, in the heavenly places. Friends, spiritual factors, they play a profound role in human history, like we see here in Daniel. But also, they play an important role in our everyday lives. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare almost always surrounds the battle for the, the hearts and minds of humanity. There is, there is a real spiritual battle that's taking place. The Apostle Paul, again, we're quoting Paul a lot today, but he's, he's good on this. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. It's a real struggle, a real spiritual battle that's happening. Don't underestimate the arrows of the enemy that are aimed directly at you. Don't estimate the arrows of the enemy that are aimed at your spouse or aimed at your children. Especially here in the West, I think one of the most effective strategies of the enemy has been convincing us that he doesn't actually exist. All the while, he is wreaking havoc right in front of our eyes. Friends, the ultimate power struggle is not between the Republicans and the Democrats. It's not between Israel and Hamas. The real battle that is, it's always taking place is between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And Christian, you are involved in spiritual conflict. When we pray, we are attacking the kingdom of darkness. When we share the gospel, we are declaring the message of the kingdom of God. Our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, they are not of the flesh but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Even when we think about things like alleviating poverty and hunger and suffering or, or putting a stop to uh, racism and injustice, we have to recognize that at the core, each of these things has a spiritual problem. That doesn't mean that we don't take real action in, in each of these things to, to stopping uh, what's going on, but we must, we must put our faith into action, right? But real change is not gonna happen until we address the spiritual nature of suffering and evil. We have to look underneath the surface level if we, if we really want to see human lives transformed. Brothers and sisters, the good news, Satan is not all powerful. Every negative thing or circumstance that we face, it's not always the result of demonic activity. But this passage here and many others in the Bible make it clear that spiritual factors really do cause real world problems. When we, we think about spiritual warfare, when we, we think about battles in the heavenly realm, this is, this is key. We have to remember that the most intense activity of Satan cannot overthrow God's purposes. The most intense activity of Satan cannot overthrow God's purposes. Now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in mentioning that. We're gonna see that even clearer as we finish Daniel next week. 
that I can't talk about spiritual warfare and spiritual struggle in the heavenly realms without mentioning this. No amount of opposition, no amount of persecution, no amount of suffering inflicted by the enemy can overthrow the plans of our God. There's a real struggle that takes place in the heavenly places, but our focus remains on the God who is sovereign over it all. Our eyes stay fixed on him. Our prayers and our our praise stays directed towards him. Remember, he has already won the cosmic battle. The war that's taking place between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, it's already over. Victory has been declared. God's victory over all the principalities of darkness was demonstrated on the cross. Jesus, Jesus has already won the war. Christ's death and resurrection disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The final act of triumph will come when Christ returns to consummate his eternal kingdom. That day is coming. That day will come. And if you're here today and you, you don't know about this Jesus who we're, we've, we're singing about and who I'm talking about, the victorious one, if you don't know this King Jesus, we have been praying so hard that you would have an encounter with him today. We've been praying that you would have an encounter with him in a way that changes your life forever. Our deepest problems in this life, they're not physical, they're not even emotional. Our deepest problems are spiritual. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Only Jesus can cleanse us of sin and brokenness. He himself, Christ, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus took the just wrath of God that we deserve. And apart from Christ, the wrath of God still rests on us. We've broken God's law. We violated his standards. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment because of this. But God in his love, God in his mercy, sent Christ to the cross. And now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're here today and you do not know Christ, again, I want you to know we have been praying for you. And I or someone else here We would love to talk with you before you leave about what it means to know Jesus. You can find me afterwards. You can find people at the prayer area there or anyone who has been up at the front, they would love to talk with you more about what it means to know Jesus. We'd love to explain to you more what it means to have a supernatural faith in Christ. Friends, the Christian faith, it is supernatural. And that doesn't mean that we deny, or it doesn't mean that we're unscientific in the way we approach things. It doesn't mean that we ignore logic and reason, but it does mean there are many aspects of our faith that simply go beyond human understanding. I cannot explain for you exactly how prayer affects things in the spiritual realm. I can't do that, but I know from Daniel 10 that it does. 
I can't prove to you scientifically how an experience with God changes the life of a human being, but I can point to many, many lives and show you that it does. I can't explain how angelic beings in the spiritual realm affect things here on earth, but throughout scripture, we see that this is the case. Instead of shying away from passages that may seem a bit strange to us, like the one that we've looked at here today, let's prayerfully embrace these things as an important part of God's revelation to us. Let's humbly seek to understand. Let's embrace the spiritual and supernatural elements of our faith. You know, one of the things that we do every single week that has a deep spiritual component to it is when we take communion together. Don't underestimate what's happening spiritually when we receive this meal. When we take communion, and when we're invited to come partake, we are declaring our allegiance to King Jesus. We are declaring victory when we enjoy this meal. We're remembering what Christ has done on the cross. We're remembering his victorious resurrection in a very real way. Our, our spiritual nature is being nourished on Christ. This isn't just something that we come and do after the, the sermon. Like this is just sort of part of our, uh, our tradition. That's, it's much, much more than that. This is very much at the heart of our worship. If you're here today and you are a professing believer and follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward and take communion. Even if Doxa Church is not your church home, we would love for you to join us in celebrating what Christ has done. So communion will be served at four stations throughout the sanctuary here. The band is gonna lead us in song. We're gonna continue in our worship and as you feel led, I invite you to stand up and make your way and receive communion. Well, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna continue in our worship together. So let's pray. Father, reading a passage like Daniel 10, even preaching a passage or preaching a sermon on Daniel 10, there are many things that I don't understand. There are many things that I'm sure people listening don't understand as we read this. But one thing that is clear is that there is a real spiritual battle that's taking place. There is a battle going on in the heavenly realm. Father, I pray that you would make us more aware of that. Father, I pray that you would keep at the forefront of our minds that the battle has already, be, already been won that our focus would be on your reign, on the power of your son, not on the, the forces that seek to do evil, Lord, but I pray that you would drive us to our knees in prayer. God, we see that prayer really does change things. Prayer really does affect things in the heavenly realm. So I pray that you would, you would help us in that and help us to, to pray for those who are suffering. When one suffers, we all suffer, Lord. Remind us to do that. Father, help our, our lives to display that you are our treasure and that you are our king. And our help our lives to be lived out of a sense of victory that we have in Christ. God, I pray that the rest of our worship this morning would be honoring to you, that it would bring you glory. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.